Uh, we're Matthew 6 today. Um, we are in this uh, series walking through um, Matthew, the book of Matthew. This guy, Matthew, told us, um, tells us, wrote down a bunch of this stuff. He knew this guy named Jesus, and he wrote down a bunch of stuff that he saw Jesus do, that he heard Jesus say. And um, he's been telling us about it. And, and we're actually in the part of, of Matthew's uh, story where Jesus is teaching, and he's just told his disciples how to pray. This beautiful Lord's Prayer, and then he comes out of the Lord's Prayer, and he tells them uh, not to be anxious, sorry, not to not to worry about. Um, they can't serve money and God, uh, and that not to lay up treasures for yourself here, but treasures in heaven. So we're hearing this Jesus that that is like this when he was baptized, the skies split, and and God said, "This is my son." Um, I am pleased with him. We should listen to him. And so he's been teaching w- what we should do. And, and what he's teaching about is the kingdom, right? That's what he said. He said, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to teach people and show people God's kingdom, what it looks like. It's not language that we use a lot, kingdom language, um, but it's someone's rule, authority, economy, right? What they value, this whole new economy coming in. And so this is God's kingdom is near, it's at hand, so you need to repent because it's coming. Make sure your, your desires, your wants, your life are lined up with this new reality. It's really near, Jesus says. And then he goes on to say, this is how, how this is great news. Actually, he tells us who it's good news for. And it's just, it's just this long list of people who are hurting and outsiders. <laughs> That's who it's good for. Um, people who know that they need. And so Jesus has been telling us all about that, what this kingdom looks like. And then he says this at, um, at the end of, sorry, sorry, right after uh, no one can serve two masters, you can't serve God and money. He says this, verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat and what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Um... My, um, my first point is that uh, anxiety is a thing. Did y'all know that? Did y'all know that people worry about stuff? Were you aware 
that it seems to be a part of the human condition to be anxious. I, I thought about looking up a bunch of statistics and, and telling you all about like the numbers of anxiety and how they're on the rise and how people have written books with titles like The Age of Anxiety. And, and I thought about looking all that, but I was like, I think we know, right? Like, I think we know that anxiety is a thing that we deal with. Um, yeah, I, I, humans are, for some reason, anxious. I mean, I, think, I used to think that I wasn't anxious, and then you have kids, right? And then, you know, you're like, oh, how about that? The whole, whole thing to worry about that I don't even know about, you know? Um, yeah, it's this dread, this concern. I think what anxiety is, is this belief that things aren't going to be okay. That drives us to worry. And it's, I don't know that it's about a specific thing. Always, it's almost more like this kind of ever-present worry. You know what I mean? It's ever-present, kind of almost undefinable. It's not like I'm scared of clowns, right? Like, I get that, you know? Or I'm scared of, you know, bees. Like, I get that, you know? My, scare, my two biggest fears have always been getting stuck in a stretch. You know what I mean? And you snap back forward real close, because what if I held that just a second too long and got stuck there? Other one is drinking a bee at a picnic. Um, So it's not like specific fears like that. It's more like anxious worries about the future. Because he says, hey, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat tomorrow and what you're going to drink tomorrow. Don't be worried about what you're going to wear tomorrow. Like, it's 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 this kind of just general, like, tomorrow's not going to be okay worry. You know what I mean? And he says this here, that don't worry. I think, look, I, I, don't, I don't have a ton to tell you about this text uh, uh, other than this. Um, uh, just a few things. One, um, I think it's just amazing that our God is concerned that you and I are anxious. Right? Like, I get it. Like, I know he's worried about my salvation, right? Like, I'm supposed to pray and have faith and all these things. But he's also worried, also concerned about my worry. He doesn't want us to be worried. That he, God shows up in the flesh and he looks at human beings and says, I don't want you to worry. We have this fear of the future because of its uncertainty. Just this week I was reading about fears because I was like, what are we anxious about, right? And so I was reading, uh, there was an article just this week, uh, this guy named, they're interviewing this um, Guy, it was in the New York Times, so they always have job descriptions that they like. That can't be a real. That can't be a real job. Like social psychologist, I can't remember what it was, but I was like, that's not a real job. But anyway, they're interviewing this guy who studies fears and anxieties, named Christopher Bader, and he says this. He said, "I've always found that fears stem from uncertainty." I'm like, we needed a study to tell us that. I've always found that fears stem from uncertainty, economic or uh, economic or financial collapse. Russia using nuclear weapons, the United States becoming involved in another world war, people I love becoming seriously ill, people I love dying, pollution from drinking water, biological warfare, cyber terrorism, and not enough money in the future. What this list looks like to me is how this list always looks. 
Always some things related to current events, like what's going on with Ukraine, government corruptions, always near the top of the list. Then you have the perennials, like people I love dying or becoming seriously ill. So some current events, and then it's about death, illness, and money. I don't know if that was worth my subscription fee. Of course that's what it is. It's always been that. Things going on in the world right around me, and will I have enough for tomorrow? What will I lose? That's what we worry about. There are so many things to be worried about. Landslides in Pakistan. War in the Ukraine. The economy, the price of chicken breasts at Publix, whether we're drinking too much plastics, the plug at the bottom of your Stanley Cups has lead in it. Did you know that? It's all over the internet this week. I don't know if you're paying attention. Everybody's real worried about that plug, like you're going to like take that cap off and start licking that. I was like, well, I wasn't planning on doing that anyway, but okay, good to know that that's something else to worry about. So many things to be anxious about, and then Jesus shows up and says, matter of fact, I I think that maybe there's a chance that we're actually addicted to worry. Have you ever not been worried for a second and then been worried you forgot something that you should be worried about? I, I think that we just live in a state of anxiety, and it's not just about like war and stuff like that. There's also social anxiety, a constant fear that I'm other people are doing better than me or having more fun than me or I'm missing out on something or I'm not where I should be. There's a social anxiety as well. All of these things. As a matter of fact, we've seen huge increases in the past. Since Jesus talked about this, we have seen huge increases in life expectancy, safety, prosperity. And we still are anxious. It seems to not be tied to economic prosperity. As a matter of fact, it seems in many places to be the more that we have, the more anxiety we have because the more we have to lose. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that perverse? Isn't that messed up? I don't know. I have anger. I mean, look, I'm not immune to this. I have struggles and worries and immune. I'm not immune to this stuff. Like I worry about stuff all the time. Um, but then you ever find yourself in a conversation and you're like, I don't have real problems? You know what I mean? Like, have you ever discussed your favorite canned sparkling water? Like, do you have problems? You know what I mean? You ever find yourself in a conversation with, you know what I'm talking about? These drinks that like, as my friend James says, that you take a sip and it's sparkling water, but it's like somebody whispers grapefruit in the other room. You know what I mean? Like it barely has any flavor. You ever had a discussion about your favorite sparkling canned water? Do you have problems? I have had that conversation. Yeah, we do. We, we were still anxious beings even though this is where we're at. It's insane. Anxiety, I think we think of anxiety as being a modern problem. It's not. It's a human problem. Ever since Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned and God shows up and they said, I don't have a thing to wear. They were scared that he's going to be there, and we are naked. We have nothing. Ever since then, anxiety has been a problem. It's been something to worry about. My concern is actually that we're uh, not concerned, but like one of the things that seems to be happening right now is we're actually passing our anxiety on to the next generation. 
some of the latest studies have come out say that this is the most, Gen Z is the most anxious generation ever. And the studies come out and said that one of the reasons is because our anxiety of wanting to keep them and protect them and make sure nothing ever happens to them has prevented them from having what they called unstructured play. And unstructured play has been directly tied to increased mental health issues. Crazy. My worry that my kid's not going to be okay is actually passing on anxiety to him. I'm not suggesting you be like Wendy. You know what I mean? Like here's a machete and a motorcycle and a backpack full of fireworks. Have fun. But unstructured play. You know what I mean? Like, like we were so worried. One of the things that I think about all the time is this, uh, uh, this American Life NPR study from forever ago. This guy uh, saw... Um, Jane Goodall's A Gorilla's in the Mist, which is this amazing film, a documentary of her studying these, film, uh, these, uh, these gorillas in the, in the jungle, and she was studying them in their habitat, and this guy saw this, this film and was like, we know more about the behavior of these gorillas than we do our own children. So he decided to set up a study, set up cameras and, and, and studies all around, uh, or equipment all around this small town in the 70s, and began to study the movements of the kids. And it's, in the 70s, the kids' average travel, the distance they would travel, was over four miles a day, including a quarry where they would go swimming. He goes back to that same town in the 90s and redoes the same study. The average distance of travel of the kid was their own backyard. They go around and ask, why? You grew up in this town, why? And the answer was, there's so much more danger, there's so much more at risk, it's not like I was when I was a kid. And he pulls out all the statistics and goes, nope, it's a much safer world now. Why are we more anxious? We're so worried that what we care about is going to be taken. We're so worried that we're not going to have enough tomorrow. And I think that no matter how much we have, and I wonder what we think the solution is. Right? I mean, if, I, like, if we sat down and like, had a conversation about our anxiety, I wonder how many people would answer that the solution would be just a little more money. Just this morning, I got a notification from the New York Times. Uh, it said uh, that in the midst of concerns, social anxiety, the, the, the country falling apart, that uh, uh, wilderness and survival training programs are booming. If I just had enough money to finish that bunker, you know, everything would be okay. If I just had a little bit of money. I I suspect strongly, and this is based on conversations that I've had, that no matter how much money you're making, that you think some of your anxiety would be reduced by having a little bit more money. You know? I think that we think that we can solve our problems. So Jesus, why is Jesus concerned about this? Right? Why, why, how does this make it list? And I think the first answer is obvious. It's because he loves us. And this is a thing that we as humans face, and, and he loves us. And two, I think he concerns about this is because our worry and our anxiety is contrary to faith. He says, oh, you of little faith. That we put faith in the wrong thing. That we put so much trust, so much value on our capacity to accomplish that when we look at the future, which is unknown, that's one of the worst things about being humans, that we don't know what tomorrow looks like. And so we have this limited view, so we don't know if we're ever going to be prepared enough for what life might throw at us. And we're also constantly aware that there are things that, we can, ta- that can be taken away from us that we have no power to hang on to. 
So we worry about those things. We're concerned about those things. And Jesus is saying, you're worried about things that you think you control, that you can control. You can't control them. Why are you worrying about them? Not only that, you're not fit to control them. You're not capable of handling them. Even if I knew the future, if I knew the next 10, 15, 20 years and could begin preparing today, there's no way I could stop bad things from happening. But also, by the way, there's no evidence in my life that I'm qualified to handle stuff anyway. My track record shows that I handle things poorly. And Jesus says he's concerned about these things because it is contrary to faith. And it's not, it's contrary to faith, like, you got to believe me. It's contrary to faith. The reason that concerns him is because it's bad for us. It's bad for us to believe that we have the capacity, that we can, if we just do enough, know enough, and work enough, handle these things. We have serious control issues. So what's interesting here is I believe his cure. Uh, What he says is the solution. Uh, He says this. Look at the birds. Consider them. Verse 28. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. I love this so much. I, I love this so much. Jesus doesn't say, I don't understand why you just don't have more faith. I don't, have you guys ever tried to just summon up more faith? I kind of grew up thinking that I just had to figure out how to summon up more faith. Just like, Ooh. and I would just sit there and just like try to have more faith. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I don't know, just believe more. What he says is consider. He, he wants to he wants to talk to you. He wants to have a conversation. Hey, here's what I want you to consider about your anxiety. I want you to consider the birds and the flowers. I want you to consider these fragile, fragile things and how magnificent they are. And consider their worth compared to yours. He wants to bring you into a conversation and consider. This is one of the most insidious things about anxiety. It consumes so much of us and helps exactly zero. Jesus says this, and I, I, like, I, don't, I mean, like, I don't know if, he probably hadn't been to a cardiologist lately, right, when he said this, but he says this the most, he's, it's kind of funny. He's like, can you add a day to your life by worry? Which is funny, right, because we know now that it actually takes days away. Anxiety actually robs us of days. How can add a day to your life by worrying? I love that he just starts there. Hey, I want you to consider some things. Uh, is not doing any good. All of our worry accomplishes nothing. It doesn't help prolong our life. It doesn't hang on to those things. It doesn't do what we want it to do. And so he says, um, it robs us of being in the moment, the end of the section. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. I mean, why are you worry about tomorrow? There's enough to worry about today. Just kind of, it's almost tongue-in-cheek. Like, why are you worried about tomorrow? There's plenty to do today. One of the things that anxiety does is it does no good. It robs us of days. And the other thing that it does is it prevents us from being in the moment. It prevents us from understanding and enjoying the blessings that he has for us today. Because I'm constantly worried about tomorrow. Now, here's the deal. What's one of the interesting things about this, what I'm not saying about anxiety is don't work. I mean, the birds of the field work. I'm not saying don't work. I'm saying, and I'm not saying don't have dreams. I'm not saying don't prepare for tomorrow. If, you got a, if your company offers a 401k, let me give you some spiritual advice. 
Invest in the 401k. It's free money. If they're matching, don't, you got to do that. I'm not saying don't plan for tomorrow. I'm not saying don't work towards accomplishing things. I'm saying do it, but don't worry. Jesus is saying do it, but don't worry. Here's, here's the thing. There's, there are people who exist in the world who are like, yeah, I don't, I don't worry. Things are good. And I don't know what color the sky is in their world. But like, there are people out there that are like, yeah, everything's probably going to be all right. You know, I think Jesus is speaking to them too. There's this amazing, so somewhere else, Matthew, he tells us this story. Uh, Luke writes this down. This guy named Luke writes down uh, uh, this story. Um, Jesus tells us this parable. Um, he says that there was this guy. Uh, here it is, Luke 12. He says, um, yeah, he tells, he tells a story about this guy who uh, has so much stuff that he, that he begins to build barns. And he looks at all that he has and he says, you know what? I have so much stuff. I'm going to tear down my old barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And then he says to himself, look at all that you've amassed. Look at all that you have. Don't worry anymore. Eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus says to this guy who has no anxiety, you fool, tonight, your soul will be required of you. How am I supposed to make sense of, Jesus says, hey, if you were, build up and don't have anxiety because you have enough stuff and you have anxiety, that person, your soul's required of you because you're being foolish. Also, if you don't have enough and you're worried about it, it's the same issue on both sides. And the issue on both sides is this, that we trust what we have and what we can amass to make us okay. Whether it's too much and we build barns, look at all that I have, I'm going to be okay. Or look what I don't have, I have to work harder, I'm not going to be okay. Jesus says you're trusting the wrong thing. On either end of the spectrum, you're trusting and believing in the wrong thing to make you okay. And he says instead, what you should do is consider how your father cares. Here's the most amazing thing to me. Jesus looks around at creation and comes to the conclusion that there is a father out there that loves you, and loves the birds, loves, the, loves his creation, cares about them enough to clothe them in great beauty. How could you not know that he cares about you as well? And he says, you need to look around and see, because here's the thing, the other thing that Jesus is not promising is that if, that, Everything is never, nothing bad's ever going to happen. He doesn't promise that. He doesn't say nothing bad's going to ever happen because bad things happen. He just says you can't trust in your own ability to handle these things. Trust your father that even when bad things do happen, he has you and your good in mind on an eternal scale. Look and consider that there is a God who loves you enough for him, for Jesus to become flesh and dwell among us and die on a cross that we might have life. Consider that. Consider what he has done. Consider how he loves. Consider how he cares about not just that you eat, not just about your salvation, but, that, not about, but, you, but about what you eat and drink and about how you are adorned. He cares about beauty. You have a God who cares about his creation and cares about you. Bad things will happen. It doesn't mean we don't work. It just means that we work trusting that God has 
our best interest at heart because he loves us. Now, okay, great. Nice to hear, right? I believe those things. Still anxious. So here's, here's what I would suggest. One, do what it says. Do what it says. Consider. And then this is this. Pursue the kingdom first. Pursue God's kingdom first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So we concern ourselves and, and, and focus on having these things and putting everything in place so everything will be okay in our little lives. And Jesus says, instead of being concerned about yourself, instead of being focused on you and your concerns, instead what I want you to do is pursue God's kingdom first, and that is the answer to anxiety. That if we concern ourselves with pursuing what God's kingdom is and it, it advancing in our heart, it advancing in our family, it advancing in our churches, in our neighborhoods, and around the world, if we concern ourselves first with those things, then our anxiety melts away. So what is that? Well, he's been describing it. He's been describing how he cares for the poor, how he cares about them being fed, how he cares about the outsider. He constantly moving from this, here's what it is. Anxiety is because we are so focused on ourselves and our needs and what we desire that we are constantly worried. And he says when we unfold and look out at what God is doing and what he would have us be concerned with, our anxieties will melt away. Because we stop being obsessed with me and mine and what I can have and begin to worry instead, not worry, but concern myself with the advancement of God's kingdom all over the world. That's the cure to anxiety is caring, thinking less about myself and thinking more about what God is doing and what he would have me do. Let me give you an example. My first job out of college, uh, I was full of anxiety, right? Not qualified, didn't feel able to be there, wasn't, felt like I wasn't getting the training that I needed. was just constantly on edge that I was going to lose this job. And I just, was just worried almost nonstop about it. And so I would do everything I could to, to gain knowledge and, and advance these things. And I was just constantly worried about it and, and nonstop. I, that lasted about six months. And, and then... Uh, other things happen, but, but I was just constantly concerned. And I know that some people worry about that too, but the pressures at the job and all the things that go on, all that's expected of you, and sometimes the pressure seems so much in our career. If instead we would focus on why does God have me here in the place that he has me? What am I supposed to do with the time that he has me here to advance his kingdom in the lives of those around me and in my own heart? Where are places that I can trust him here in this spot? Where are people that need to know and and be secure? Here's what I'm saying, I guess. Here's one thing I want for us. is You want to be a powerful force in the world for the advancement of the kingdom? Go be a non-anxious presence in the world. Do you know what a stabilizing force in a workplace a non-anxious presence could be? 
No matter what happens, it doesn't mean you don't work hard. It doesn't mean that you don't concern yourself with what goes on. It doesn't mean that you don't problem solve. But it means that no matter what happens, you are this non-anxious presence, this rock that believes and trusts and is thinking about something far more than what is going on on the surface. How do I love a difficult coworker? If I show up at work and my thinking is, how do I love this person who makes my job miserable? How do I care about them? How do I pray for them? And I concern myself with that first. That doesn't, that doesn't remove the obligation or, or, or the opportunity for me to continue to work. It just puts it in its proper place beyond, behind how do I love this person so that they know that Jesus loves them. How do I see someone who's struggling and hurting and how do I be there for them? How am I a presence for them? In my family, when people are hurting, how do I care? And I concern myself with the advancement of God's upside down kingdom, this backwards way of understanding the world and what's valuable and important. If I had worried myself about advancing that first, these other things will find the proper place in my heart and in my life. The solution to our anxiety is looking out at what God is doing and joining him in the work that he would have us do there. Seek first God's kingdom. The other things will find their proper place. Being a non-anxious presence in this world that, that people can go to and turn to is a powerful powerful argument, a powerful, powerful presence for that will draw people to want to know why we trust. So here's, here's what we do. Here's how you do this. One, here, let me give you a very practical tip. If you can't stop being anxious about the news, brace yourself. Turn it off. Like, just Stop. Just stop doing it. It's not even a spiritual advice. That's just, just quit it. Here's the thing. How many of the things that you worry about, like if you were one of the people who worry about war in Ukraine and stuff like that, right? I get it. And if you're one of those people, what have you done about it this week? It seems crazy to worry about things that we can't do anything about that are happening on the other side of the world. So if you can't, like if you're like, look, I don't watch college football anymore. You know why? Because I can't do it in a healthy way. I'm either screaming, I'm either getting emails about some high school kid that might go to recruit somewhere, like, or just I can't, or not at all. Like those are my options. I can't watch it in a healthy way. If you can't watch the news in a healthy way, just shut it off. Because perhaps, and, and here's, you're like, well, that's not biblical advice. It kind of is, and here, here's, where, here's where this comes from. Perhaps you were not made to be concerned about what God is doing all over this globe all day long, every day, every second of the day. Maybe you just weren't built for that. Maybe you were built to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we can't, I'm not saying that politics don't matter. I'm not saying that these things, we shouldn't be concerned about them. But I'm saying if it is more than you can handle and it is ruining joy and taking focus off of who God is, turn it off. You weren't built for it anyway. Second piece of advice is this. One-to-one ratio. Think about this. One-to-one ratio. As much as you worry about a thing, 
as much as you practice worrying about the future, I want you to practice trusting God about it. If you find yourself for an hour a day scrolling through the internet, some function of the internet, worried about all the things that are happening, or if you find yourself sitting up in the middle of the night meditating and worried about this thing, I want you one-to-one ratio. If you spent 30 minutes worrying about it, I want you to spend 30 minutes at least praising God for who he is and what he's done. Here's what I'm saying. I mean, if you're going to practice being worried, why not practice trusting? You know what I mean? Why not consider the lilies? Why not stop and consider the birds of the air? Why not stop and practice engaging my brain and my heart in what God is doing and trusting my Father? That's, that's what we do when we come here. One of the things that we do when we come here is remind ourselves of these things and practice them together. Trust is not a switch that you flip. And then you're like, yep, I trust God. Check, going to heaven. It's not like that. It's a thing that we grow into over our life. Uh, We have faith in God and then his Holy Spirit begins to work in our heart and as we meditate on these things. So here's my advice. Find places to meditate on what God is doing, uh, who he is and what he's done for you and where he would have you to do. Where is his kingdom in your heart? Where are you resistant to it in your heart? And where do you find opportunities in your life to push it forward in your thinking, feeling, family, and in your work and in your whole, in your church, all of these things? Where do you find opportunity to do that? Here's, just practice it. So, these songs that we sing, we're practicing trusting. We're driving these truths in our heart. The creeds that we confess, we're practicing driving these truths into our heart. When we come together in community, we're practicing driving these truths into our heart. When we ask God for a thing and he answers and we praise him for it, we are practicing trusting God. When we focus on me and my and us and ours, so much of our focus turns internally. And what Jesus is calling us to do in this passage is to stop trusting us, stop depending on us, stop believing in us, and instead uncurl and trust him. This man is going to go to the cross and he's going to die, this God man, and he's going to die on the cross so that you and I have this eternal life. That no matter what happens here, no matter what we suffer, as Paul says, it pales in comparison to the infinite joy that God is preparing for his children who have faith. And when we bring our eyes down to the earth, right, we get so overwhelmed by all that we cannot handle. And Jesus is calling to lift our eyes to the Father and see that he has and can. Practice trusting. Rehearse it. Come together. Practice forgiving. Practice loving. Practice trusting. This is a thing that we do, and God moves our anxiety. Look, it's a real thing. I know I talk about it lighthearted, but I know that it is a plague. I know that it is heavy. And my encouragement to you is to practice trusting this Jesus who loved you enough to die. That's how deeply loved you are. So much your sin costs and how deeply loved you are at the same time. This is what we do.
Yeah? Let's pray. Father, you're good. Anxiety is terrible. It chokes us. It robs us of joy. It takes away from us while at the same time adding nothing to our lives. So as we come to the table, may we practice trusting that here you have provided for us, that we rehearse how you have provided for us, that this is what we need, that our life is so much more than what we encounter. When we come to this table, when we come with great faith, increase our faith, increase our trust that you sustain us, that you provide for us, that you love, for, uh, love us, that in the presence of our enemies, the enemies of sin and death and so much else, that in the presence of our enemies, you have prepared this table for us. Comfort us in this. Heal us in this. Assure us of your power and your great love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.